morning, guys. Good morning, and welcome to Church in the Valley. Happy New Year. It's good to see everyone here. Um, if you guys would like, you guys can move closer to the front since there are this many people here. Um, if you're here in person, you can tell how many people. If you're on Zoom, we'll be you guys. But um, yeah, welcome. Happy New Year. Uh, you guys can sit this out or sit forward. The club is service goes on. Uh, but we're going to begin the new year by uh, worshiping our God and to declare what he has done for us. So would you stand with us as we sing? You can find lyrics online. No, it's not online. You can find lyrics over there if you need them, little uh, white sheets. And then you can find the connection card and the uh, uh, sermon guide online as well at cidl.com. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing but not All my failures I tried to hide It was my tomb Till I met you You called my name And I ran out of that grave Out of the darkness Into Yeah, that I'm breathing I have a feeling 
Welcome you again and say Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us at Church in the Valley in Alhambra. And whether you're here with us in the courtyard or watching from home, it might be a little warmer in your living room. This is what we uh, in Southern California call cold, but at least it's hit the 50s, right? So I think there's, it's going to be warmer. Um, well, my name's Mark Klepsig. I lead a community group here at Church in the Valley. And um, if you're our guest this morning, we do have a free gift for you over on the resource table. It's a book called How Good is Good Enough. And we'd love for you to take one of those for yourself uh, or for friends or family. And we would also like everyone to fill out a connection card today just to let us know what's going on. If you got a new phone for Christmas and your phone number changed for some reason or new uh, address, any details about um, what's going on in your life that you'd like us to pray for. We'd really appreciate knowing that and praying for you guys. Um, if you're here in person or our first or second time guest, just let us know how you heard about um, Church in the Valley, and that will help us as well. And fill out just as much information as you feel comfortable on that card. Um, if you would like to support the church, you're welcome to give online at civalhambra.com Sunday. Um, or there are offering buckets here in the courtyard as well. Uh, at the end of service, we'd also invite you to drop your pins in those uh, buckets as well so that we could recycle those. Um, every year we have opportunity um, and really appreciate the generosity of the church as we support local ministries here uh, in in North America, some very, very local in the San Gabriel Valley, and then internationally with our Christmas offering. And so uh, we'd invite you to give to that. If It's above, above and beyond our tithes and offerings, um, and it's just a way that we can really bless those other ministries. So this year we have a goal set of $20,000, and I believe that uh, the latest update I have is we reached almost half of that, 9662 and we can continue to giving, uh, giving towards that through the end of January. So again, thank you for your generosity. This year we're doing something special. Uh, our sister church, actually the church that we um, launched out of, Church in the Valley, Ontario Ranch, has an opportunity to lease a building, requires a lot of construction, and so we want to come alongside them and bless them. Uh, so the church is in a position financially to do that. We're going to, um, whatever comes in for the Christmas offering, the church will match that and give that to Church in the Valley Ontario Ranch to help them get settled. So I'm really excited that they don't have to come early and set up uh, anymore once they have that construction done. Again, uh, continue to giving. We can continue to give through January 31st. Um, once again, we're just really glad that you're here with us today. So we're going to sing a few more songs before Neil Walker comes up and gives a message. Thanks.
Thanks, Mark. You guys can stand as we continue to sing to our Lord, um, to enthrone him in our praise and in our hearts and in our lives as a way to sort of reframe and reset this new year. Um, it's really all about him. It's really all the glory and all the honor and all the power to him.
Thank you for what you have done for us on the cross and that you uh, rose up from the dead and conquered death, that we get to partake in your life and be with you and to know you and to receive all of your favor and all of your grace. We thank you. We want to honor you this morning and we want to honor you this year, Lord. So open our ears to the words you have to say to us. We love you. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. You guys can have a seat and we'll uh, welcome Neil up. Well, good morning, and hope you are doing well this morning. Welcome to uh, 2022. How's it going so far? Well, yeah, one day. Honestly, if it's not going well right now, you're in trouble, okay? So uh, if it is going well right now, cheer up, it'll get worse. But uh, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But as we begin this new year, what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to start off with um, a, a new, kind of a new pattern, maybe um, something that I would like you to begin to think about. It's maybe something that's a new thing for some of you, but it may be something that many of you have done for a long time. But I'd like to introduce it to us a little bit as we start 2022. And that's just this. I'd like us to start off this morning preparing our hearts to hear God's word. And the reason I would is because we really need that. See, our hearts are normally resistant to what God's Word has to say. You know, normally what happens is we come in, we sit down, and, and our, our initial thoughts is our, our hearts kind of want to do what they want to do. And so uh, Ezekiel brought this point up in Ezekiel 3.10. If you see this right here on the screen, it says, Receive into your heart all my words that I may speak to you and hear with your ears. Now, we kind of think that's backwards sometimes. We think, no, no, you hear with your ears and you receive in your heart. No, no, no. 
not in spiritual things. In spiritual things, what you'll find is this, that you really have to set your heart in order to be able to hear in the, in the second place. If you don't set your heart in the first place, you'll never be able to hear. So I'd like to take a minute this morning. Normally you would do this before you come. Normally you do this maybe on the way. Normally you do this right after you argue in the car, whatever the case may be. But when you get here, what you want to do is you want to set your heart. So let's just take a moment now, and let's just still our hearts before God for a moment. And I'll pray, and we will get started. Father, in light of who you are and in light of uh, all you've done, it would only make sense that we would listen to you and it would only make sense that, God, we would surrender our hearts fully to you and to whatever you have to say, that our answer in advance would be yes and we simply listen to what you have to say. But, Father, I know that too often in my life as well as in the lives of others. That's not the case. So this morning, we really ask that you would really intervene, that you would really pierce our hearts, you would really speak very personally to each one of us, that, God, you would kind of peel back the layers of resistance and help your word to have ample room to move right in and feel at home, and that you would speak very personally and very powerfully to each one of our lives. And we pray those things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, my question for you this morning is kind of this. Why is it that so many years, it seems like it starts off really hopeful and really like everybody's excited at the first of the year. And then over the course of the year, you know, full of promise. And then as the year begins to wind on, it begins to be much more full of frustration. You know, I don't know whether you've experienced that. I'm not just talking about pandemic years here. I'm talking about just regular years as well, that we're really excited at the new year. We're excited about the new beginning. But then we realize, man, the problems that I had December 31st, they seem to have carried over to January 1st. I don't know what happened. And the things that I was, you know, struggling with then, I'm still struggling with now. It didn't suddenly dissipate just because the ball dropped somewhere, you know, and things happened. That didn't change anything. And What I would like us to look at today is how do you face the frustration and the problems that will inevitably, realistically arise this year and still remain really happy and hopeful? How do you do that? Now, as New Year's begin, people always have new practices they start. Like what you'll find is, you know, people will uh, have some, for some it's diets, you know, for me, it needs to be a diet. Uh, for diets, for others, it's workouts. You know, they're going to have workouts. For others, it's some new financial regimen. And understand me, I am not saying those are wrong. In fact, those are really good. In fact, those are really helpful a lot of times. But all of those have two aspects that are true about them all the time. One is we're in control of those. And the second one is it rarely has much pain involved. Have you ever noticed that like the diet, we're like, well, it's kind of a diet-ish. And, you know, the the financial regimen is kind of a regimen-ish. And what we do is we, we design it in such a way that we're in control of it, and we design it in such a way that it really doesn't impact us as much. God, on the other hand, knows how to develop a personal training program for each one of us that will not only incorporate the regimens that we've produced, but will also utilize the things that we've not chosen 
and that we don't desire that will build us into the men and women that we really desire to be and that other people really need us to be. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at the book of James. Now, I, I love the book of James. I mean, James is one of my favorite authors in the New Testament. He's the younger brother of Jesus, and he was one of the key leaders of the Jerusalem church, which was the very first church ever. And the people he is writing to have been going through a lot of trials, a lot of different things that have gone on in their lives. And like us, they weren't necessarily looking for the reasons for all of that. They were just looking for relief. You know, they didn't care. They just wanted it to be over. Yet, this is what James says to them to start off his letter. He says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Consider it great joy. I mean, really? I mean, you know, in fact, the words consider it in, in the original language means do it now once for all. Do it now once for all. In other words, make a one-time decision right now that, you know what? Every time I'm going through trials, I am going to consider it great joy. He says, do that now once for all. And then he says, whenever, not if ever, but whenever you experience various trials. Why? Because you're going to experience various trials. In fact, the word right there, experience, in the original, it, it, it is a word. It means that you are dropped down right into the middle of trials. You are surrounded by trials. And trials, trials aren't a problem. I mean, when handled rightly, trials are really useful. When handled wrongly, um, trials become temptations to do evil. So, you know, you want to really look at how you, how you deal with it. But he, says, he goes on to say this. He says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know. Because you know. Rejoice. That's what James says. Because you know something about trials. Now, what did they know about trials? Well, they, I can tell you what they didn't know. Um, they did not know many of the specific good things that God was going to do through the trials. They didn't really know the why of the trials, why these, why these trials were going on. They didn't know how long the trials were going to last. But what they knew was one simple promise that was really filled with power, and that was this. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Nothing reveals our hearts and how far it is that we have to grow like the testing of our faith, like the trials that we go through. In fact, before you go through trials, before you go through testing, you know, if people ask you how you're doing, you know, what areas do you need to grow in, you're kind of like, well, you know, I mean, I could use a little touch-up over here or a little tweaking over here. I mean, I, but we don't ever think something like, you know what? I need a total makeover. I need someone to really renovate my life. We never think something like that. We think, well, a little bit here, a little bit there. But the reality is nothing reveals our hearts and re reveals how far we have to go and how much we need to grow, like temptations and trials in our life. What trials do is trials test our faith, which is really just saying they test our personal trust in who God is and in what he does. But here's the other thing you see. Testing, testing produces endurance. Testing produces endurance. 
And men and women, what I will tell you is this. If you could get those three words to take root in your life to where you could let them sink down into your heart and really begin to not only hear those, but believe them and act upon them, what you would find is that it would produce the most radical response of all in the midst of trials. And that would be joy. You would look, you'd think, what in the world? Why in the world? I think it's because you realize that testing produces endurance. Testing produces endurance. Now, let me ask you this. When you think of joy, I have no doubt that the first thought that comes to your mind is not like trials. You know, like you're sitting there going, hey, you know, let's make this a really good Christmas season. Yeah, what are some trials we could bring into my life? No, we don't think that way. We don't think that way at all. In fact, if I were to ask you, what are some things that brought joy to you this last year? You began to think through some of those. What would they be? Think about that for a minute. I mean, for some, it would be, you know, weddings. They'd be, oh, man, you know, got married or, or this happened or that happened or went to this wedding. You know, for some, it would be weddings. For others, you know, it would be babies. We found out we're going to have uh, uh, two new grands in uh, this, this next summer, God willing. And so, you know, I mean, for some, it's babies. For others, it's, it's accomplishments. You know, for some, you know, man, they've achieved this or they've achieved that. For others, it's relationships. You know, they're really excited about that. What James says is this. He says, Joy is to occupy your life whenever everything is going just the way you planned or just the way you would plan it. But he says joy is also to occupy your life when nothing is going well and nothing is like you planned. When you are going through trials, he said the thing that ought to characterize your life is joy. Now, why would you ever consider trials to be a reason for joy? Well, the answer is found in, in verse 4 right here. He says, let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. In fact, the word right there, let endurance have its full effect, it's a word it means let it keep on having its effect. In other words, don't stop the trials too early. He says, you know, let endurance have its full effect. Why? So that you may be mature and complete. Now, notice that James doesn't say, you know, he's very careful to not say that trials in and of themselves are a reason for joy. The trials themselves aren't even the point. Rather, it's the, what the trials produce, maturity and completion. Because maturity and completion, what that really is, is to grow to be in the image of Jesus. To grow to be in the image of Jesus. Now, Ephesians tells us in Ephesians 4.13, and, and you see also in Hebrews 12.2, that he talks about Jesus was the one who was tested in every way. He is our chief example. In fact, in Hebrews 12.2, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He went through the ultimate trial, the ultimate endurance for the joy set before him. Now, what was the joy set before him? fellowship with you and I for us to be able to have fellowship with him he was willing to go through that and to be conformed into his likeness that is the greatest source of joy in our lives so James pushes us to be good stewards of our trials ultimately your trials are not a thief that's bringing chaos confusion 
but it's really a tool that God is using to make us more like Jesus. So you want to steward the trials you've been given. So how do you go about stewarding your trials? How do you maximize the impact of trials in your life? How do you maximize their work in your life? What I'd like us to do is some th look at some things that hopefully we'll be able to put into practice and, and put to work this afternoon. The first one is this, check your focus. Check your focus. Don't just focus on the trial, focus on the process. Now, you're going to need faith to do this. And why is that? Well, you need faith that someone is in control and has the ability to use those trials in a way that will develop you and not harm you. I mean, if you didn't trust that the person that was in control of things was there for your good, it's going to be really hard to have joy in the midst of that. But in the midst of the trial, you know that you have someone that is trustworthy, someone that has the ability to use that trial to totally develop you. Secondly, you're going to need faith that the one who's leading is trustworthy. In other words, that what he has said he is going to do, he's really going to come through on. And over and over and over, what you see in the life of Jesus is everything he says, he does. All his promises are yes. He fulfills every one of them. Then you need faith to remember that our trials have purpose. When you have the right focus, you remember the work that God is doing. And when you have the right focus, it brings problems that you have in everyday life, like the trials that you face, it kind of brings them into perspective. I mean, we've had some things this past week where we were looking at them and we were kind of like, wow, that's, that's not good, or that seems like it's taking forever, or that's just, you know, this and that. But as we look at it, we're kind of like, that is such a small thing. It is so small in comparison to other things that we could be facing right now. Good night. That, that is, a, you know, a non-problem almost, you know. And so it brings it, brings it into perspective. But you, you may be facing a lot of different things. I don't know what you're facing right now. For some of you, it may be a diagnosis uh, that you received. It may be a work situation. For some of you, it may be a marriage struggle. For some of you, it may be a single struggle. You know, you're thinking, I'd like to have a marriage struggle. Uh, you know, but, you know, I, I don't know what it is you're facing. But I am sure of this. I know that you want to glean everything you can out of the trial that you're facing right now. And I know that to do that, you want to let it have its full effect in your life so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So the very first thing that you want to do is, is check your focus. Are you focused just on the trial or are you focused on the fact that, you know what, God is using this in my life to grow me, to make me more like Jesus, to develop maturity and to develop completeness in my life. The second thing is ask God for help. In verse 5, he says this, Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. In other words, if you can't see what God is doing in the midst of all your trials, we know one of the things you can do, ask him. God, could you help me to have wisdom to see what you're doing? Or God, could you give me the wisdom to know how to cooperate with you in the midst of this? God, could you help me in this? You know, well, why, 
Why pray for wisdom? Well, for one thing, wisdom is the knowledge, the experience, and kind of the judgment that leads us to make better decisions and leads us, you know, with better thoughts, better actions. And so what we need to do is we need to come to God whenever we realize, man, I don't know what to do, or I'm not sure how to handle this, or I don't know what God's doing. We need to come to God and ask him for wisdom. And he, he tells us a couple of things about that. He says, God will give wisdom generously. In other words, he has an unlimited supply. He's not up there going, oh, no, don't have enough. It, don't have enough uh, to give you right now. I mean, I'm, there's a shortage of wisdom. No, God is full of wisdom. So he'll give it generously. It's one of the things. It also says he'll give it ungrudgingly. That's a hard word to say. Ungrudgingly? Ungrudgingly. Yeah. What does that mean? It's, in other words, he's not going to be reluctant about giving it. He's going to be like, well, nah, I don't know. I, 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 you know. But rather what it is, you know, he's going to say he'll give it to anyone and everyone who needs it if they will simply come and ask him. He will give them. So if you need perspective, if you need wisdom, ask. And the third thing, utilize God's word. In fact, if you want to know how you're doing in the whole stewarding of your trials, one of the ways you can look at that is how do you respond to the Word of God? How do you actually allow it to impact your life? See, the purpose of God's Word is to change our lives. And if we want the Word to change you, one of the things James says is you have to do it. He said it's a life process, not a mental one. This isn't something just to increase our, our understanding, but it's something that's given to change our lives. So James uses the illustration of a mirror, and he says this in verses 22 through 24. He says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he who looks at himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Now, can you imagine that picture? I mean, imagine yourself. You roll out of bed in the morning. You know, you kind of stagger through. You find a mirror. You look into it. You know, you look like you have road maps running all through the whites of your eyes. You're kind of sitting there. Your hair's going like every which direction. You know, you have like green things in your teeth or something. You just kind of look really, really rough. And then you walk away and you think, I don't think it was that bad. And you kind of put a hat on and go out the door and you're on your way for the day. And then other people see you and they go, it was that bad. You know, you're like, oh, maybe I should have handled that. Yeah. See, here's the thing. Mirrors expose the truth about you. That's the purpose of a mirror. Mirrors expose truth. You aren't changed because you've looked in a mirror. You still have to act. But mirrors expose that. A mirror is a place of action. Have you, have you ever noticed the difference between how a child approaches a mirror and how an adult does? You ever notice that? Now, on Friday, we got to celebrate a birthday of one of our uh, granddaughters. She is the first of four this year that will turn five. And so we got to celebrate her. And one of her favorite meals, which I can hardly agree with, is spaghetti. And so whenever we're there and she's eating this, I thought this was fun. And it kind of took me back to our family because 
when the kids were younger, that was one of their favorite meals. They would love spaghetti. In fact, our youngest, who's not much of a spaghetti eater now, I, I find, but you know, now, I mean, he used to love spaghetti all the time. I mean, it was just a, you know, that was his favorite meal we would have. And we would sit around the table there sometimes, and he would eat spaghetti. And the way that he would eat spaghetti would be kind of like he would have spaghetti all over, you know. And he would look there, you know, and here's the thing I notice. I'd look up sometimes, and he would kind of have this mustache of spaghetti sauce. And I would say, Samuel, you've uh, got some. And he would go, and he would look in the mirror, and I guarantee, you know, he would come back, he'd go, look mustache you know i mean when you're five you know i mean you know look yeah you know how cool is this you know a mustache and for him it was like oh this is this is so fun you know now melinda on the other hand um you know if i were to look over at her and say hey melinda uh you've got like uh, some spaghetti sauce she doesn't run in and look in the mirror and go cool mustache this is great i mean man she whips out that why she gets rid of that spaghetti why Well, see, for Melinda, a mirror is a point of action. For a child, a mirror is a point of entertainment. You know what? You can begin to see how you're maturing through trials when you look at how do you respond to the Word. Is it just a point of entertainment for you? Do you look at a verse and you're like, oh, wow, that is a cool verse. That is an awesome verse. Oh, what a great verse. I love that verse. And then you walk away and you do absolutely nothing with it. Or do you look at a verse and do you see it as a mirror that reveals your soul? And you say, God, help me to change that. Help me to deal with that right now so that I can really be more like Jesus and I can really be more mature and more complete. Which way do you deal with it? The Word gives us a real barometer of how we're doing when it comes to dealing with the trials in our lives. Whether we're really moving towards maturity or whether we're not, whether we're really just remaining childlike. So how do you maximize the trials in your life? Well, check your focus. Ask God for help. Utilize the Word. God's promise to you is this. It's found in verse 12. He says, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Let me read that again. Blessed is the one who endures trials. Now, everybody's going to go through trials. But blessed is the one who endures trials. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, if you're an engineer or a mathematician, which we have multiple of those, the formula would look something like this. Trials plus endurance equals the crown of life. Trials plus endurance equals the crown of life. Now, I'm not sure exactly all that the crown of life means. But what I do know means this. It means blessing in our life, as Jesus has pointed out. It means life. 
I mean, it means there's some aspect of life that we will never experience apart from developing a heart of endurance. So my encouragement to you this morning would be steward the trials that you are facing well, knowing that God is going to use those in your life in this coming year to really develop in you a heart of maturity and a heart of completion and really to make you more into the image of Jesus. So let me pray for us, and we'll invite Victor back up. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for men like James who learned there at the feet of his brother and learned exactly the very things he brings to us. That trials aren't something to be avoided. Trials are something to be embraced. Trials are something to, to feel joy about because we realize the outcome that you are making us more and more every single day into the image of your son. So may we do that, Father. May we steward them well this year. May they not catch us by surprise. May we realize that we're going to face them. And as we face them, may we grow through them in a way that is really pleasing to you and really a blessing to us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Neil, um, we're going to respond to the song, oh, sorry, we're going to respond to the message of the song about saying uh, yes to our God and really trusting him, um, reminding ourselves that, as Neil said, that his promises are yes and amen in Jesus, that everything that God has said is fulfilled and will be fulfilled through his son. So whether you want to sit and just think through the message a bit more or stand and sing with us. Um, we invite you to, to do so. Beautiful Savior. Peace. 
You saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, he is with us, oh, be not dismayed, for he is our God, our sustainer and strength. He'll be our defender and cause us to stand, upheld by his merciful almighty
you as our foundation, Lord. We put our trust in you. We put our hope in you. We base our lives off of you. We thank you for this new year. We welcome whatever is to come with it, whatever you have in store, whatever you have planned to grow us and to mature us and to perfect us. We love you. We ask these things and declare these things in your name. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us for church this morning. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.